and welcome to New Age Raid, a podcast about spirituality in the modern age. My name is Brody, and I'll be your host. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Um, so, in thinking about what I wanted to do this week's episode about, um, it's kind of an interesting time for me in that it's been a whole year since I really kind of got started looking outside of uh, Mormonism, right? It's been a little bit longer than a year. Um, I think I started first meditating um, maybe a little bit prior to one year ago, but it's the beginning of this whole journey. And then beyond that as well, one of the things that I was thinking about is the Venus retrograde, which started um, the evening of the 12th, um, and it goes through June. So Venus retrograde is an interesting thing in that it uh, it's re-looking at, you know, Venus things. It's kind of a backtracking. You could say just as like Mercury retrogrades are backtracking when it comes to Mercury things. Um, but specifically mine is what defines it is where it's at. So Venus is in Gemini right now. And on my own chart, Gemini is my ninth house, which is where your higher education, spirituality, philosophy, and all that lies. Um, and so this past year has been a very Gemini approach to spirituality and philosophy in that I've kind of, uh, jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> I've, I've hit different kind of practices, um, gotten in in as deep as I could, but briefly, and then moved on, right? Um, so having Venus be retrograde in Gemini in my ninth, my ninth house kind of signifies the whole journey to me. It's, as far as astrology is concerned, it's a very apt delineation um, for what this episode is going to be about. Um, it's going to be a backtracking of my ninth house things, my spirituality, my philosophy, the things that I've learned over the past year. Um, it seemed appropriate at this time for that reason and several others to kind of recap. As this podcast has progressed, it's become less about me trying to teach anybody anything via like some sort of explanation of principles that are already well explained and better explained by other people and more a chronicle of my own journey and the things that I've learned and then just hoping and praying that those things come in handy for whoever listens. Um, so what I decided to do was get together some notes on what the last year has been like since the beginning of that journey. What lessons have I learned and how do they define the way that my cosmos is right now, the way that I perceive it, right? And so that being said, <laughs> we'll go ahead and dive right in into what I've learned over the past year. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to nail it down um, or briefly summarize it but I'm going to attempt to. Um, so the first thing I hit was Buddhism. It was one of the first episodes I did. And Buddhism is something that I still hold dear. My relationship to it has changed in the, in the sense that it's not the entire picture by any means. But I think what I learned was that Buddhism does bring happiness. Um, meditation helps one learn how to better enjoy the present and avoid so much of what brings suffering um, to human beings. And a lot of that was based off of things that I studied that had a lot to do with evolutionary psychology, how the brains and bodies that we've developed are made for a different world <laughs> in that, you know, we not very long ago lived very, very different lives, 
difference from what we do now. Um, whereas food used to be scarce, it's no longer scarce. Whereas danger used to be ever-present, it's no longer as present as it used to be. And a lot of our reactions as human beings are based in a world that we no longer live in. They adapted to a world that we no longer live in. So we're reactionary beings in a an environment that doesn't really require as much reaction as we we have. We tend to overdo it. And that's what brings us a lot of suffering is that we're constantly striving to be better. We're constantly anxious and fearful of various things that, you know, don't actually threaten our survival so much as make us uh, <laughs> uncomfortable, maybe. Um, the And so the, the reactions are outsized. And we find ourselves feeling a lot of anxiety and fear over things that it's not really worth it to feel that way over. Um, the thing that it kind of opened my eyes to, that Buddhism opened my eyes to, is the happiness trap that the constant pursuit of happiness in of itself denies said happiness to us. We spend so much time in the past or in the future and not in the present. And so the Buddha and teachers after him, including teachers today, I think Noah Roshetta, who I referenced in that episode, is a great resource as far as how to live in this modern life using Buddhist principles and gain some peace and happiness out of it. Um, To date, it's still so effective that I continue to practice it despite the fact that I don't agree with the cosmology of Buddhism anymore um, because I know that I've been able to derive so much more joy out of seeing the world as it is, not, now I don't occupy that that space all the time because it's kind of antithetical to magic um, a little bit in the sense that magic tells you you can change the world. There are things about your life that you can change via will in these specific ways. Whereas Buddhism a lot of time tells you, stop trying to change it, (laughs) that that striving itself is what causes a lot of the suffering. Um, And somehow those coexist at the same time for me. I'm very chaos magician about it and that like I will switch into Buddhism mode when I need to and then I'll switch into magic mode when I need to. That I'm holding both of those beliefs in my head at the same time despite the fact that they don't agree with each other often. Um, This interesting analogy came up watching um, the new Netflix show The Midnight Gospel, which is just as a warning before you go, if you decide to watch it yourself, it is very strange. Um, Yet the strange animation that's going on paired with a very interesting conversation actually makes a lot of sense. Um, One of the last episodes I watched was about Hindu and Buddhist beliefs about who we are, whether or not we exist. And the analogy was made that Buddhists will often compare it to you know, you trying, you adopting a spirituality and trying to change who you are to become a better person is like spending experience on a World of Warcraft character. It's something that doesn't exist. <laughs> and so in the same way that you could, you know, look at someone who's spending a lot of time online on a fictional character that say if you know blizzard servers crash and all those characters are lost all of that time is wasted it's it's meaningless it's a lot of effort and striving for nothing and so you could argue that that uh, buddhism and hinduism in this, in similar ways are making the same argument that you don't exist um <laughs> that you are a part of everything else you're kind of a weird embodiment of the universe that itself is impermanent. Um, 
you're maybe like a raindrop temporarily out of the ocean. You're you're an individual at this point in time, but your end state is to return back to the ocean where the borders that define who you are at the current moment dissolve and you become one thing in, you know, that's indecipherable from the vast ocean, right? So why are you working so hard on developing your character as a droplet when you are the ocean kind of, kind of argument? Um, whereas I, I disagree. <laughs> this gets really complicated really quick because the question who I am is still fairly undefined for me. Um, but I, I don't think our efforts to improve ourselves are a waste of time, but I think that they do keep us from fully enjoying what is, fully enjoying who we already are, that there's some importance to be, that there's some importance to the natural desires and natural people that we are and the world as it is and enjoying that that's an important part of being happy. And I think Buddhism really showed me how to do that. Now, as for concepts of what happens after I die or who I actually am, I don't use Buddhism for that purpose. I have different ideas about what those might, what the answers to those questions might be. And I'll talk about them, but Buddhism and by my, in my opinion, in a world that didn't have magic, if that was the world that we lived in, it would be the answer. Um, it has so many tools for helping us find happiness right here, right now, and avoiding suffering. That was the whole reason that it as a spiritual practice was developed, was how do we free ourselves from this endless chain, this, well, this endless cycle of unhappiness. Um, and... I think since it was developed with that in mind, it's done an amazing job at relieving human suffering. Wherever you stand, I think using meditation and mindfulness and the principles that Buddhism teaches can help you find more happiness and peace in the here and now. And then from Buddhism, we move on to Neo-shamanism, that was the next practice that I ended up moving into. And I think what it taught me, the biggest thing was openness. That I'd been along the path, path far enough to realize that science and materialism didn't have answers that were satisfactory to the questions that I had about what my purpose was, what's going on here. Who am I? Vice versa, right? The big, the big questions. Um, and neo shamanism was just weird enough <laughs> that it kind of. I was reticent to attempt doing it because it seemed so far outside of what I'd known before. You know, you don't find anything like that in Mormonism. You don't find anything like that um, anywhere, quote unquote, normal. <laughs> Um, it was something that was entirely foreign to where I'd been before. And going through that experience of making myself open to it, realizing that, well, their opinions are just as valid as anyone else's because no one seems to have this figured out. So if no one has it figured out, then might as well give this a shot. And it ended up being very surprising how useful it was. It's interesting to me because I go, I have the statistics to the podcast and I know which episode got the most listens. So outside of the first episode, the episode on journeying is actually the second most popular one, which I found interesting because I think it, in my opinion, it's the worst episode that I've done because what I was talking about is so hard to get across. But I, what I think neo-shamanism did for me after allowing me to open up my worldview, um, it was kind of the 
the hammer that smashed apart the structure a little bit. Um, beyond that, it opened me up to a world that was a, a reality that was very expanded. It told me to take seriously the things that I had not been adjusted to taking seriously. We <clears throat> live in a world that suffers from what Gordon White calls Cartesian head trauma in that we, you know, that whole I think, therefore I am, we think that the only thing that matters is our, is what, the thoughts are what prove that we exist, right? But beyond that, you know, further downstream from that problem, we have this materialism problem that tells us that only the things that we can see or hear or, you know, detect with our senses are real. So it's it's them and ourselves, right? We're thinking, therefore, we're real. And then the things that we can perceive are also real. But things that we don't perceive or things that we consider imaginary aren't. What neo-shamanism did was prove to me that the things that we imagine, our dreams, the active imagination work that we do via Carl Jung's practices, that stuff is just as real. Um, and that is the concept that humanity has had for way longer than whatever we're currently running on, <laughs> which is uh, which is materialistic. Only the things that you perceive are real um, or that science can verify are true, those kind of things. Most you know, a lot of indigenous cultures or they, they don't view reality that way to them. The things that you dream about are just as real as your physical waking life. And they've done studies on the brain that show that that's the case as well, that your brain, when you're dreaming at night, can't tell the difference. Um, it's just as real for it, whether you're dreaming or whether you're awake. And that changes everything. <laughs> um, or it changed a lot for me in that I started using it in, in a way that I was going to my spirit guides for answers. And these were people that a few weeks before I hadn't even considered could be real. I thought it was all in my head. And I dealt with that for months. I felt like I was going crazy. That, you know, I was talking to beings that existed only in my imagination and therefore they weren't real enough. And I think I've slowly gotten over that. It's still a little bit of a problem. But um, the, the guides and people that I've spoken to in the imagination have gained a reality that they did not have before. And it has benefited me immensely in that... You know, I've gone to them for counsel and advice and gotten answers that feel like they don't come from me. Um, wisdom that I don't think I have. Um, now, what exactly is going on there is up for debate. That's the thing is a lot of the things that I've learned are results-based and I don't have a, a framework to fit them into sometimes. That's not everything matches. Um, but... With journeying stuff, it, it really, it opened everything up. <laughs> that It made my reality much more than it was before because I could include things in my reality that I didn't include before. The imagination is real. Dreams are real. The things that you experience within dreams are just as real as your waking existence. That those things have messages and guidance for you. And so by opening up my idea of what's real and what's not, I was able to find peace and comfort I couldn't before. Because one of the weird things is I actually tweeted about this the other day, how <laughs> I was thinking about the things that I like to talk about. And they usually are science fiction and fantasy politics and religion and therefore I don't have many friends um but on a more serious note because that's that's still true but in a 
on a more serious note, I have, I'm coming out of a phase of my life where I was basically a hermit and a recluse. You know, I had my wife and my kids and my coworkers that I would speak to, and that was it. Um, I have extended family I saw every couple months, but my um, social life was fairly dead. It still kind of is. I'm trying to improve it, but, you know, when you're 9 to 30, it's hard to find new friends, especially when you're, like, a married man and you prefer female friends and yeah, it gets, it gets complicated. I've never been very attached to, I've never liked hanging out with guys very often. Um, but trying to find new friends and all that, but I was going through something that was very personal and alone. I remember actually talking to my wife about this recently in that I'm having these experiences spiritually that are difficult to talk to people who haven't been through them about. And I felt very alone. I felt like I was losing my mind and joining up with groups like Room Soup and, and others and finding people who were like me helped immensely in that department. But I remember in those moments when I felt alone that I could go into the imaginal. I could go do active imagination and journey work and talk to people and beings that only exist in my imagination, but the comfort and advice and friendship that they provided was real. And I'm not going to debase it by saying it felt silly at the time, even though it did, because it's not silly that You know, I'm operating now in a way that those things are are real. Those beings are real. They may not be real to others. That's the funny thing is they can be completely imaginary to other people, but real to you. Um, at the end of the day, your, <laughs> your reality is your reality. Um, and it was comfort and help and aid that I needed. And it's not something I would give back. Because not only did it provide me those resources, but it just made my whole world feel more magical. Um, Essentially, anything that I could imagine up, any being or place, became real, as long as I kind of made a practice out of it. And so there's a good chunk of my time as a human being that's spent in places that are so fantastical, and amazing to me and I consider them real so my whole entire reality has changed for the better it's much more like the fantasies I have um, because those fantasies are real right and that kind of I feel like that leads very well into the next point which is that psychedelics and magic taught me that reality isn't what I thought it was Um, so that's, this is coming from two different angles. One is the psychedelic angle and the other is magic. But in terms of psychedelics, um, I'm not even that experienced with them, you know, but I think that's something that you have, you can have just the one experience and it, it profoundly affects you in that now I had a crazy (laughs) experience in that. I thought I was ready and prepared and that I'd made sure everything was set up. And it wasn't that way (laughs) because, you know, I spent the first couple of hours after the effects started to kick in, in, you know, just in bed, cold, silent darkness, like you're supposed to, um, according to Terrence McKenna. And those were great. It was euphoric. It felt amazing. I, you know, was having the experience as you're supposed to, I think. But you know, my wife was having a bad day that day (laughs) and it became known to me that she was having said day while I was, you know, tripping and I couldn't stop myself from going outside and helping her. Um, so I went outside 
of my bedroom to chaos that was amplified by the effects of the psychedelics. You know, I had a daughter with a bloody nose. There's blood on the floor. You know, my little one-year-old was walking around with keys in her hand and my wife was crying at the bottom of the stairs, which sounds bad under normal circumstances. And then when you're under the effects of a psychedelic, it's even worse. Um, it seems like the end of the world is coming. In fact, I remember my wife coming in the room and telling me our state had gone on lockdown while I was, while I was tripping. And all of these things combined kind of um, started to propel me on a bad trip. Now, I think the meditation practice for a year helped me kind of keep myself from the brink and that I was able to tell my brain, like, don't go there. Um, we, you can, everything's fine. You know, I could, I could kind of trick my brain. It got exhausting doing that after a while, but the experience of parenting while on psychedelics, which sounds massively irresponsible, <laughs> but you know, I had an adult in the room and I was, I was starting to come down, but gosh, I even wonder if I should say this stuff out loud, <laughs> but it, it taught me the mutability of reality as weird as that sounds. I'd have moments where I would be looking for my daughter's sippy and it felt like it would just magically appear in my hand. I'd reach into a pocket um, of the diaper bag and have nothing there and then do it again and it would be there. And it just felt like reality was constantly changing. It felt very fluid. And that sense has stayed with me. It's probably the most profound effect from it I got, um, even more so than in euphoria or the other effects was this sense that like suddenly reality became very, very unstable. And that sent, and that felt much more like what true, what reality truly is than even my physical waking sense of it is. Um, and then magic did a very similar thing. It, it also told me that reality is mutable, that your thoughts and actions and intentions are causative. And that if you inhabit the state of already having what you want, those things just seem to show up. And so you combine those two lessons, the psychedelic lesson and the magical lesson. And for me, it's still fuzzy and not defined. But something is definitely going on. Things are definitely more mutable than I thought they were. Reality is not... It's just, it's far stranger <laughs> than you think. And I think the people who understand that the best, um, I think psychedelics and magic helps understand that much better. It really is, you know, they call them consciousness expanding. And I feel like my consciousness has expanded to include things, to be more inclusive than it ever was before. And I owe that to, to psychedelics and magic. Um, the, the psychedelics were just a kind of a part of the journey. It was part of, you know, what Gordon White calls becoming invincible and in that you have an experience that's so profound that it kind of removes your fear of death. I never had a heavy fear of death before. And I think that there's more experiences needed before I feel like I'll be able to say I am that kind of invincible where I'm not scared of dying, where I kind of understand completely what's going on here. Um, I feel like I have more pieces than I did before for sure, but there's still some more journeying to be done <laughs> in, in multiple senses of the word. And... That's the thing is I've just had my reality broken and expanded. It kind of feels like what it's what happens in your body when you're working at a muscle and that in a literal context, you're damaging it. But in that damaging, you allow it to grow. That what's broken gets repaired and then, you know, more muscle gets laid onto it. And 
that process is very similar in the sense that it's painful having your world kind of broken up and remade so many times, but it's whatever muscle it is that I'm working out <laughs> when it comes to that, it's, it's grown and grown more powerful um, via that practice. And it's, it's a world that I definitely prefer to live in just like anyone who's, you know, worked out and done a lot of weightlifting would prefer their body after that than the one that they had before. Despite the fact that it's work and it's painful and it sucks, they don't want to go back to their old body. Um, and I don't want to go back to my old reality. I guess reality is the muscle that I'm working <laughs> in that I'm doing things that break it down and destroy it via psychedelics and magic, but then they remake it stronger than it was before. Not necessarily stronger, but more expansive and large. Um, the next lesson I learned is that humans are kind of defined by magic. That we have a special ability and calling that I feel has to do with ritual and intention. I think of all the animals that exist, we're the only ones that seem to do rituals. Um, not that we're the only ones capable of it. I feel like there's some animals that are getting, that show some behaviors that are kind of close, right? Whether that's making tools or behaving in odd ways we don't understand. But um, as far as we can tell, we're the only ones that, you know, make fetishes that we worship or statues that we worship or that pray or do ceremonies. And the interesting experience I had was just participating in a group with other magically inclined people. And seeing how important that whole thing was. So reading the book Power of Eight by Lynn Mac McTaggart was a big part of that. Just seeing how groups of people were getting together and intending for each other. So reading the book and being exposed to it and then actively practicing it formed this, this shift into what I think humans are all about. And so I did that via Rune Soup through the, other, through the membership. And one of the things that we do is intentions for each other. Someone will come with a crisis and say, hey, can you guys do a 10-minute intention for me for this thing to happen? And we'll make up a, an intention statement like so-and-so, their surgery is completely successful. Or, you know, Bob finds his cat. <laughs> and so even little things. And it's kind of like prayer for, for one another. And that we, we try and influence reality. And, it, it's, and having participated in that several times and feel what it's like to be both intended for and intend for someone else and the community that it makes. Because there's people in that group that I've never met. I've never seen them in real life. But those people have taken times out of their day to intend for my children's well-being, for my wife's well-being, for my well-being. And that's something that not everybody does. Um, but also it has effects. It's powerful. We've seen miracles happen. Um, sometimes they seem like coincidence. Sometimes they definitely don't. And I think it's, it's very much defined for me what humanity's about. It's one of those things that seems unique to us. And it seems to be one of the more powerful things that we do. And it's not even just the recent experiences with the Rune Soup membership that, that define that for me. You know, I remember being, you know, a member of the Mormon church and, you know, as a kid being with each other in spiritual practice and praying together 
and working together for spiritual purposes. And it brings a kind of unique closeness with those people. And I think it's, it's, it's a big part of what defines us. And that we, sure, we have power and ability to affect reality on our own, but that power is amplified when we act in groups. And a lot of that has to do with the ideas of mutual flourishing that, that Gordon espouses for Rune Soup as well, is that we're trying to form a society amongst ourselves that promote mutual flourishing, that, you know, I scratch your back, you scratch mine, that I've had people who, who will be listening to this are people who have listened to my podcast, and that's them helping me flourish. And I listen to their podcasts, and I read their blogs, and I like their tweets. And it sounds something, I mean, in terms of tweets, it sounds silly, but we give each other our business. We make things for each other. We, you know, we'll discount our rights for each other to offer astrological consultations or life coaching consultations. And, you know, I've had people that I've talked to that have had similar magical experiences, and we... We trade experiences and tips and we, you know, we try and help each other. And being embedded in that kind of a society has just changed everything. I think we miss that boat. A lot of us do in our normal modern day lives. We don't. It's very easy for us to get separated and not have people that we can depend on. And so being a part of that community has kind of changed my entire conception of what humanity is all about. And I think that that's going to continue to happen. And so we'll actually go ahead and take a small break right now, since I am coming up on the 30 minute time limit, which I frequently do anyways. But we'll take a short little break and be right back. Okay, so next in the list of things I've learned is the cyclical nature of life and events within it and the world in general. Um, this is where astrology comes in. I see astrology as a model for you know seeing the cyclical nature of things, right? Every single planetary body within astrology has a cycle. Right, of its yearly trip around the sun, or in the case of the moon, its yearly trip around the earth. Um, and that those cycles, looking at them and where they are and how they interact with each other, can be predictive. Similarly, do uh, you have other things like if you look at economic data points plotted out on a chart, they are very much not random. So even things that, um, as human beings, we have this, this tendency to think that we are outside of nature, that we're somehow aberrant or different. But when you get down to it, even human behaviors such as economies on even as big of a scale as they're on, those things are very much not random. There's patterns that can be seen there. And that we can use those patterns to not only predict what's going to happen in our lives in a very general sense, but also to increase our own matching up with those patterns. Um, astrology has been one of those things that's been very eerie for me to, to come upon and, and see in that it, it continues to enhance that, that lesson that reality isn't what I thought it was. Um, we don't really have a, solid clue of what's going on here. Because if you ask me to explain how the planets affect your daily life, uh, the, the closest thing I can get to it is more esoteric nonsense. <laughs> and that is that hermetic principle of as above, so below the macrocosm and the microcosm that the planets are acting out something up there that influences us down here, um, that our lives reflect one another that we can look up there and see reflections of ourselves. I mean, that's what a birth chart is. It's kind of a reflection of you just instead of using 
standard means of reflecting an image back at you, like pixels or a mirror or something like that, that you know, it uses planets and stars and their angles to one another and several other things, right? And I think the thing that's been most helpful is just realizing that there's a pattern to begin with and that you can line yourself up with said patterns to enhance your life result. Um, for me, it's just been nice to be able to put my life into certain pieces and divide them amongst planetary influences and then go with that, that flow, right? That there's certain times when it's good to do some things and certain times when it's not good to do other things. And that's, that's kind of the origins of astrology in the first place, right? Um, Aries is a cardinal sign, so it has to do with beginning things. And it starts on the spring equinox, which is when a lot of things begin. It's when we begin planting. Um, well, at least I think so. <laughs> it's around that time when spring begins that we, we finally get into a, a preparing to sow new life and grow it. And then you have cardinal signs. Yeah, so cardinal signs are about beginning. Fixed signs like Taurus are about staying the path, and they represent the middle of, of a season, right? When things are very much as they should be, there's not a whole lot of changes. You're finally past that phase in spring where there's weird frosts. Um and then you have mutable signs which represent endings. Um, and that's the, the funny thing about, you know, the Zodiac is it lines up with the seasons as they progress. That You know, Aries marks the beginning of spring. And then you have, gosh, what's the next one? <laughs> I'm spacing my signs. I used I usually have this so much better. Um, but the next cardinal sign, I believe, is Cancer. Yeah. Um, you have Cancer marking the beginning of summer. And, you know, so on and so forth throughout the whole seasons. Um, that there's a cardinal sign at the beginning of it. Capricorn at the beginning of winter. And Capricorn is very similar to winter. It's about facing cold, stony reality as it currently is and and surviving it. Um, if you want to learn how to survive winter, Capricorn has some great lessons for you. It's, you know, this whole year is a very extended Capricorn year in that there's lots of major outer planets in Capricorn, and we're facing some pretty tough realities right now, pandemic-wise. Um, it's not even just the pandemic. There's political upheaval. There's social upheaval, um, economic upheaval. And that's what Capricorn is often about, is facing those tough realities. Um, so there's that's, that's what it's about, seeing the patterns, right? And so astrology and other things taught me how to see those patterns. And to me, it's a great comfort to know that there are patterns in the first place, that it isn't complete chaos. Um, sometimes what the stars say is going to happen is chaos, but at least you know it's coming. Uh, but it is nice to know that, that the patterns exist, that you can align yourself up with them, and that that will benefit your life. And I've done that on a level that's outside, outside of astrology, just might be a little bit Buddhist in the sense that I, I have a practice of just checking in with myself more often, trying to detect the, the patterns in my own body and mind and, and heart and line up with them. Check in and see how am I feeling? How am I feeling physically, emotionally, mentally? And based off of that information, what should or shouldn't I do today? Um, there's sometimes you're just like, I need to take a load off. 
I need to relax. Maybe for today, maybe for a week, maybe for longer, depending on your circumstances. And and I think that's what it's taught me is the the usefulness of seeing patterns and then adapting to said patterns. And then finally, the question of who I am. Um, this has been a more recent lesson in being exposed to ideas that are very different as to who the question of who I am that have exposed me to new ideas. One of them being Peter Carroll's chaos magic theory. And that like you are made up of several parts that like to vie for attention. And that even matches up with astrology in the sense that like, you know, it's multiple planets battling it out, you know, battling it out to decide what actions you're going to take that day. You know, I can look at my own chart and sometimes I, sometimes it's the Sagittarius sun that wins out. Um, it makes me feel tied down, makes me feel like I want some freedom. Sometimes a much more practical part of me comes out and I blame that on planets and Capricorn. I blame my stubbornness on Mars and Taurus, <laughs> you know, various different ways that I can react and emote and be that match up very well with my own chart. Um, so that chaos magic theory to me kind of made perfect sense. Despite the fact that Peter Carroll who made it up does not himself believe in astrology. So it's a funny thing, but um, you also have your Buddhist Hindu ideas about the fact that you don't exist at all. Um, you're just a, temporary droplet going back to the ocean. Um, you seem like you are your own thing. You seem solitary, but in reality, you are a part of a much bigger whole. There's, you know, the pantheistic idea that we are the universe experiencing itself, that you're this particular branch of everything that has somehow managed to develop its unconsciousness and feel separate from everything else, despite the fact that you're not. And sometimes I do feel like that's the case. Like I'm a unique collection of things that's experiencing the universe in a very unique way. And that's the whole point of the universe creating me is like, that's how it would entertain itself. Right. Well, let's experience ourselves through the eyes of this very specific weird person. And then we'll do it again with another over and over and over for the rest of time. Um, and it's a question I still don't have the answer to who am I? It's just been interesting being exposed to different ideas that answer that question after years of being, you know, you're a soul in a body. Um, that one day your soul will be separated from your body and then reunited in the case of resurrection. But there's definitely a, like you are an individual unique thing um, that comes up in Christianity. Um, but being exposed to other ideas, you know, the idea that I don't exist at all um, to the idea that like maybe I'm several things at once. Um, it's, a question that's going to be ongoing. And so all of this leads into what's the world I live in now? <laughs> what is the reality in which I, uh, which I inhabit? And comparing that to the one that I used to. And the change is just, It's massive, and it's only been a year. <laughs> um, going from being this Mormon guy who thought maybe he had this or that destiny. You know, as, as Mormons, we have this practice called patriarchal blessings where, you know, you turn 13, I think, is the age, and... Uh, one guy in your congregation, well, larger congregation, it's the stake, you know, basically puts his hands on you and gives you a fortune telling, <laughs> to put it simply. And mine said that, I mean, mine was really vague, but 
you know, it said I would serve a mission and marry in the temple. I think it said I would have several kids, which I've only had two. So that ended up being wrong. Um, but you know, to where I am now, where all these, there's so many things are undefined now, but the possibilities are expanded for me as a human being under the paradigm I live in now. I think that's one of the things that's changed is I think humans are far more powerful than they think they are, um, at least as custodians of their own realities. I don't think we're all powerful by any means of, or capable of anything, of limitless possibility, but reality is far more mutable and human beings are far more powerful than I used to think. And that's, that's been the crazy thing is experimenting with it and having success. This week, I had one of those weird experiences where I got precisely what I wanted. I've talked, I think I talked in the last episode about how my dream is Hobbiton to bring the Shire on Earth for my own personal enjoyment to create it myself. Um, and I was living, I was, that whole dream was like, well, I've got to start my own business in addition to the current employment I already have and make enough money and save up enough that I can buy land somewhere and learn permaculture and start a farm. And the possibility of working with my dad on that was always there, but you know, mother's day went by and I talked to him and he basically gave me the dream <laughs> on a platter. He put it in my lap. He said, you know, I've been studying this for, for years. I've looked at land prices from Florida to Alaska. Um, I know what the soil quality is in various places. I know what the land prices are. I know what the coding laws are. And he, he'd always talked about going to Missouri because I thought it was some weird Mormon thing. Cause that's where the new temple, the new Zion is supposed to be built according to the Mormons. So I thought that's why he wanted to go there, but he told me, no, it's cause the land there is cheap outside of St. Louis. You don't have any zoning laws. You can build whatever you want on your own land. The soil there is great. It's got the perfect climate for being able to grow lots of things and that he'd always planned on buying land with enough room for several houses to be built on it. So he practically told me like, I'm set up <laughs> that the dream that I've been dreaming for the past year, ever since I kind of figured out what I wanted, asked myself the question, what do I want? What would I burn the boats for? And then actively imagining that thing. It's been a part of my journeys. It's been a part of my dreams. I go to sleep at night thinking about it. I go to sleep at night assuming I already have it. Like Neville Goddard teaches. <laughs> I don't know if we've talked about Neville Goddard, but look him up on YouTube and listen, and I think you'll get the idea. Um, I've done magical rituals for that ending. And it's super strange to just have it pop up in my lap after a few months of doing that and wondering, I'm like, is this a coincidence? <laughs> I was told that if I did this, that it would show up and here it is. Nothing magical happened. I mean, nothing out of the ordinary, nothing unlikely. It's just that things aligned and the path was prepared. And of course, there's things that could change that. There's things that could influence whether or not that actually ends up coming to pass. But I have to say it's weird. <laughs> um, I mean, the whole last episode was that magic is real, right? And I have the proof in the pudding this week after doing that episode. Um, not to mention that, like, there's been tons of funny things that have happened. This episode seems like a perfect embodiment of Venus retrograde in my ninth house in Gemini. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, my daughter underwent a minor surgery on the hour of Mars, on the day of Mars, and her chart is Mars ruled. It's on top of her ascendant. 
She's a Scorpio with an Aries moon, both signs being ruled by Mars. Um, and it couldn't help but feel like after we did an intention for her um, as a group that she would come through okay and seeing that she did, um, the procedure proceeded without difficulty. Um, she went under amnesia and that's, or not amnesia, anesthesia. And that's what worried me, but she's fine. And it was successful. And the health problem that she went in for was resolved. And there's a part of me that's just like, well, it was the hour of Mars on the day of Mars. And I can't help but think he was looking out for one of his, <laughs> for one of his daughters, right? She's my daughter, but you look at her chart and it's just like, well, this is, if I've ever seen a daughter of the God of War, this is it. Um, not to mention that she behaves that way. She's a tiny, tiny warrior, very angry. <laughs> but that's what, I think that's what's changed the most in my life over the past year is it's just been infused with happiness and peace via Buddhism. And it's been expanded via neo-shamanism and magic and psychedelics that my reality is so much bigger than it used to be, but so much more magical. The patterns show up, things happen that just feel too good to be true a little bit. The timing always seems too perfect. Even though the means are coincidental or ordinary, I can't help but believe that everything's changed and that that changing is owed to my own changing, the, the way that I view reality, the actions I do, the thoughts I think with. And it's, it puts me in this weird position where I, I wish I could tell the rest of the world that, that the rest of the world could use that power. One of the funny things, well, it's not funny per se, but you do a lot of reading in magic, magical oriented books. And there's talk of ions and the age of Aquarius and that things are coming and things are changing for the better. Um, I was talking to my parents about preparing for the end of the world because <laughs> that's a Mormon thing, right? The second coming of Christ, the wicked shall be destroyed. Lots of natural disasters and wars and rumors of wars and yada, 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 right? So for that reason, my parents have been preparing for the apocalypse for quite a while. And then for me, it's astrology other models informing me that things are about to get a little bit messy um, here in the United States and abroad. This coronavirus thing was kind of in the cards, the via astrology. There was signs that pointed towards pestilence. There was signs that pointed towards the fundamental structure of things being quite changed. There's the triplicity changeover into air at the end of this year. So the astrological word is things will never be the same. And I can't help but think that between Mormons and astrologers and everyone else, everyone kind of is getting that sense. That things are changing. There's something going on here. And I can't help but be grateful to to know the things I know, to have gained the knowledge that I that I have to see the patterns and be happy. And this strange magic stuff that makes me feel like reality is conforming with with my own will. Um because in the reality that's coming, the changes that are coming, those are all tools that I'm going to want. Um, I feel like I've, they've already been immensely useful. And I can't imagine trying to get through life without them anymore. 
I I just try and think of like how I would viewing be viewing what's happening to me and what's happening to the world if I was still a scientific materialist or a Mormon. And ugh, I can't. Ugh. <laughs> it's too. It's too boring. It's too powerless. And I don't want it. But the the world I'm living in now and the lessons I've learned it's just so much of a better place to be. And I feel like I don't even have an idea what's happening yet. That's the other thing is I, as a person I'm used to having it figured out. I'm used to feeling smarter than everyone else. And all of a sudden I feel not that. I'm in contact with people who amaze me, these terrifying, intelligent wizards and witches <laughs> that I know who've been doing this for years. And I'm trying to comprehend what their reality is like when I've been doing this for a year and everything has changed and then trying to, you know, multiply that by three, four, five years of the same thing. But at the same time, as terrifying as it is to think about, it's also terribly exciting to think of what's possible, what I could do. I mean, right now, one of the things I'm working on is just dreams, trying to have more dreams, trying to remember them. And just thinking of that as a possibility in the context of like dreams are just as real to your brain as real life is. That it's possible that via dreams or particularly lucid dreams, right? If I can thread that needle, don't know yet. Um, but of the lives and places I could go via that route. Um, or the things that, you know, psychedelics could continue to show me. Um, the experiences that that would provide, both good and bad, right? I don't know if many of you have had the opportunity to watch the um, new show on Netflix, Have a Good Trip. It's more of a primer for how to use psychedelics in a correct way. But how terribly exciting it is that the world is finally moving into a place where these um, substances are being normalized and seen for the massive potential and value that they have. And... You know, they have the potential to teach you lessons, change you as a person. I mean, people giving up tobacco and alcohol and various addictions because they have one experience with, with a psychedelic that shows them precisely what's happening to them in so profound a way that they never touch them again. You know, they're doing statistics and saying that there's like 80% success rates with psilocybin or or LSD um, on, you know, patients that they've used them for addiction, right? And that's the world that we're moving into. And it's a world that I'm moving into. And to wrap up, lest I, <laughs> I ramble on for too much longer. What I've learned in the past year encapsulated in, in just those few bullet points that I managed to write down is the major things. There's tons of little small things. I've gone from a world that was inherently not magical. Even if I was praying and going to church as a Mormon and all that, and the inherently magical things that Mormons do, it just didn't feel that way. And I don't think I believed any of it. Um, so I've moved from a, a world of unbelief into a world of belief, world of lack of faith into a world that is faith, but faith by my own terms. A world that's more than just human beings on this one rock, but other beings, spirits and, and animals and fictional characters that are just as real, that have become far more real that I have friends that are both imaginary and not, 
it sounds silly calling them imaginary friends, but um, and then just feeling like I have the power to put my life in the direction I want to and seeing results. Dabbling with these things, or not even dabbling, I've kind of thrown myself into it. With the effect that I can have on my reality and getting results and what that means is insane to me. There was a day this week where I prayed about the dream issue and I got an answer that day that when I'm in the right frame set thinking about it and what its implications are and how that makes me feel, it brings tears to my eyes. Like tears of joy. <laughs> At the things that are possible. And not only that, but the fact that I can pray and get an answer that day and I can consider it coincidence and just be like, huh, that's funny. Or I could consider the implications like God is listening and he spoke back to you almost immediately. And the emotional effect that that has on a person. It's akin to, you know, seeing that sunset as a kid, asking God to show me that he loved me and then having this, the most beautiful sunset I've ever seen in my entire life, just right there, feeling like it was for me. And that is a universe that is far more loving and caring and exciting and full of possibility than the one I lived in before. That's what I've learned. Um, is that the possibility, you know, is endless. That we can really stretch the limits of what can be done via magic and intention and, and our spirituality. It's changed everything. And I desperately wish I could give that to other people. I can't. It's experiential, but... Um, I hope sharing that experience has been useful for you guys. I hope that if I can help anyone else have those experiences, <laughs> feel free to email me um, via newagerate at gmail.com or on Twitter or Facebook or what have you. Um, but we'll go ahead and wrap up there. Um, leave it on a good note. Uh, I appreciate the support of all those who are listening. And um, any feedback would be great. Same email address, any support as well. And we will hit you up next week. I think we're trying to move in a direction where I'm going to try and get some people to interview on the podcast. So I've got a few prospects and I'll talk to them and we'll see what we can get together. And that ought to change up the formula enough to be a little bit more interesting. Well, we'll see how it goes. Um, but hopefully I'll talk to you guys soon and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.